Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Psalm 51. Uh, I apologize that uh, I'm not uh, on my A game this morning. I don't know if I have an A game. I'm not on my B game today. Um, you know, it was tempting to, uh, to call Rich last minute and say, uh, you're up this morning, um, but there's, just a, there's still a little good in me. Uh, that thought I shouldn't do that to the poor guy. Uh, he's covering for me uh, while I'm on vacation next month, and, and uh, so I decided that I would uh, preach and then go home and crash. I told him on Thursday, or Friday, I said, I think I might be getting sick. I'm like at a one, and last night before the potluck, I was like at a three or four. By the end of answering questions, I was at a seven, and uh, so I'm going to approach God's word this morning and sneak out. But uh, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we're doing a series on prayer, and uh, we looked at ask, seek, knock, and then uh, we looked at praying for the prodigal, praying for the lost. We talked about praying for the sick, um, and praying for the things that are impossible. When we talked about praying for the things that are impossible, one of the things we said was the most impossible thing God does is when he changes our heart, when he works in us. And so if God can do that, then he can do things outside, and so that gives us faith to do that. And then last week, we kind of bumped it up a little bit and said, let's talk about some dangerous prayers. And we talked about asking God to search us. And today, we're going to talk about God breaking us, and then we're going to ask God uh, to use us and ask God to send us. And so the idea of God breaking us comes from uh, this confession psalm of David in Psalm 51. And in verse 17, he says, kind of as he's concluding this, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So how do we get to that point where God is, is breaking our heart? And so we're going to look at this psalm and, and answer this question. We've defined prayer. We've been borrowing Timothy Keller's definition that prayer is a relational, a personal, communicative response to knowing God. And so um, it's personal. It is uh, communication based on how we know God. So the more that we know about God, the more that we know about what God is doing, the more precise our prayers are. Now, there's a couple different thoughts, I think, on this. And when I was a kid uh, growing up in the Bay Area in San Jose and the afternoon TV, there was these kids programming and they had this show called TV Pow. Now, I looked it up. It was actually all over. Some of you may have heard it, but it was an interactive video game that was voice activated over the phone. And kids would, would, would put in their cards to get called, and I got called. And so on the screen, there was, there was like a video game, and, and everybody's watching this, and then these spaceships would fly around, and when they came in the middle, you would say, pow, and hopefully blow up the spaceship, just like you would in a video game. And I was, this is really exciting as a kid. You know, you got called, you're going to win something. I don't remember what it was. Um, but I was excited about it. And there was two schools of thought on TV POW. One was you just got on the phone and you just went POW, 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 POW. And the other was you just watched the spaceships and tried to be precise. And I chose being precise, trying to catch those spaceships in there. And actually, the other philosophy was better with that. But um, I got the, uh, the participation award. I got a 
a train ride up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. But um, with prayer, I think we're better with the precise. Knowing, knowing what it is, God's will, God's direction, and praying that heart. And so I want to look at this idea of God breaking us, what that looks like, how we get there. And so Psalm 51, we're going to look at a crushed heart, a contrite heart, a confessing heart, and then a cleansed heart. Let's read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold, uh, uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. A crushed heart. David prays, God, in this, he, he says, a broken and contrite heart. He comes to that point of brokenness. Uh, the word, if you, if you look it up, it means to be broken, to break in or down, to rend violently, wreck, crush. So what is a, what is a crushed heart, a broken heart? Well, it happens when sin is revealed to us. And I just read the, the whole psalm there, but I actually didn't read verse 1. Verse 1 in the Hebrew is the little uh, subscript at the top. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David sinned. Uh, most of you remember the story. It says, when the kings went off to war, David stayed at home, and he was walking around on his rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He inquires about who it is, you can hear the servant's response, isn't that Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And you can hear in that king, I think you know who that is. That's your buddy's wife, the guy that fought with you, the guy that stood up with you when no one else did. Do you remember that? 
Yeah, have her come over to dinner tonight. And David commits adultery. Bathsheba gets pregnant. She sends word. David wants to hide this sin, so he calls Uriah home and hoping that he would sleep with his wife, but he's too honorable to even sleep inside his house when his brothers are at war. So David says, we'll just take this up a notch. I'll try to get him drunk. He succeeds. He is more honorable drunk than David is sober. So plan B for David is to send him into the heat of battle, have the army withdraw, and have him killed. David then reaches out to her, marries her, and believes the whole thing is hidden until the prophet comes to David and says, let me tell you a little story. And he tells him a story about somebody who has a whole bunch of sheep and somebody who has just one. He's appealing to David's shepherd heart. Remember when you were a shepherd? And this one with many takes the, takes the one. David says, that's wrong. He should, he should be punished. And Nathan says, it's you. And David's heart is crushed. A crushed heart is crushed when sin is revealed to us. When sin is actually revealed and we see it, it should crush our heart. Now, we don't always respond that way. When you look at Scripture and you compare David and Saul, David's sin, from our point of view, adultery, murder, cover-up, seems so more significant than Saul's sin of starting a, an altar fire when he's waiting for the priest. But when Saul is confronted with sin, he makes excuses. When David is confronted with sin, he is crushed. A crushed heart happens when sin haunts us. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I've, I've read that verse many times. But one commentator pointed out how what, what's happening, and I think what David's saying here in a poetic way is, the sin keeps replaying. It's on instant replay over and over, and oh, I can't get it out of my head. It haunts me. There's shame involved. Some of us can't even identify what the sin is, but we know we feel shame. And third, when sin rearranges us. In verse four, he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This verse tweaks some people the wrong way, and I understand it's, it's difficult here. He wronged Bathsheba. He wronged Uriah. He wronged the nation as king. He sinned against God. Now, I can sin against you, I can wrong you, but understand, ultimately, sin is this breaking of, of my relationship with God. It's transgressing against him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan says, you sinned when you despise the word of God. 
In fact, Nathan just talking for God says, I gave you, I gave you the kingdom. I, I gave you riches. I gave you a promise. If there was anything I withheld from you, I would have given that to you as well, but I gave it all to you. You've despised my word. A crushed heart happens when sin lives in us. Verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, every single one of us are born sinful. I've said this before and you guys all know it. But when you watch your kids growing up, your grandkids, even though they're perfect, I know, but watch them closely. And eventually they'll do something. They'll take a cookie when you said no. They'll dip into something they're not supposed to and you'll look them right in the eye. They have cookie crumbs on their face. Did you take that cookie? No. And there's this amazement in me. I mean, I never sat down and taught them how to lie. We, we, ne we never do that. We never teach them how to lie. We never teach them how to blame somebody else. We, we don't have to teach them to cover up. Why? Because it's inside of all of us. And David recognized, I was born into sin. And so we're, we're crushed when it's revealed to us, when it haunts us, when it rearranges us. We're, we're crushed because it lives in us. And when it's called out in us, in verse six, he says, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. When our spirit is crushed, what comes out is what's in the middle. What's at the, the center of the heart. The reason that we pray, God, crush my heart is so that we can see what's inside of it. And David says, when you crush this, what's in the middle of it, what comes out is truth. We got to get to that heart of that truth to come out when it's called out in us. Now, all of us want that. But if we're honest, the process is hard. And it hurts. And when God's chipping away at that heart saying, I want to get into the center of it. I want to crush your heart. It hurts. That's why I'm saying this is a dangerous prayer, because we're saying, God, I, I want to get to the center. Second, a contrite heart. What is it? It means to feel remorse. It's to be crushed by guilt. But that's not all. It means to be, to be moved, excuse me, towards atonement, reconciliation. It's this crushing feeling that says, I don't want to stay here. I want to move towards atonement and reconciliation. What a contrite heart doesn't do, it doesn't seek to rationalize. Well, God, it was the woman you gave me. Well, God, it was the snake. And the snake goes, oh, no, there's nobody else around here. It doesn't try to hide. 
David was already covering up. David is, is at the end of this. He thinks all of his boxes are all set and, and wrapped and perfectly hidden, and Nathan comes to him. And, and, and David realizes, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm not going to hide from God. You can fool me. You might be able to fool your friends. You're probably not going to fool your spouse. You're definitely not fooling your kids. You're not going to fool God. You're not going to hide it from him. We don't try to shift the blame. Sometimes in our rationing and our hiding and shifting the blame, we say, yeah, I did that, but you've done A, B, C, D, you know, ah, you're so much worse. We try to move it around. We try to make a, a paint a different picture instead of just owning our part. Now, I think that's how many people respond wrongly. But I had to add one more. There are those of us that just like to wallow in the guilt. We feel crushed. We just go, oh, okay, I'm a terrible person. Just bring it on. I stink. I'll never be any good. Okay, that's not a contrite heart either because the contrite heart moves towards atonement and reconciliation. So what does a contrite heart do? A contrite heart recognizes the seriousness of the sin. Now, it's easy to read Psalm 51 and to recognize what David has done and go, okay, that's a serious sin. But let me just share with you that all sin is serious. All sin is serious. For the wages of sin is death. We are sinning against the God who created us. We're sinning against the holy God. All sin is bad. Now, I know that sin isn't a popular word. I'd love to come up with another word that's maybe, you know, cooler with you or whatever. But the reality is it's the, it's the word that Scripture uses. In fact, David here uses sin. He uses transgression. Uh, he uses iniquity. He uses wickedness. I mean, he's really painting the picture here of what sin is. And what we need to recognize is that our sin is serious. And you don't have to compare it against other people's sin. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm, I'm not as bad as this guy you're talking about. I'm not as bad as this person. No, sin, whatever it is, falls short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. I think the other thing we need to recognize about sin is its stubbornness. I mean, just as we think, we're, oh man, I am getting cleaned up here a little bit. I am doing pretty good. What happens? Bam! Get hit with it again. Where did that come from? How did that sneak up on me? We are born in iniquity. The picture there is that it's just, we're covered in it. So we recognize the source of sin. It's in us. It's in our heart. It's wrecking us. So we're starting here at the bottom. We have this crushed spirit. What do we do with that? We need to have a contrite heart. There needs to be a, a brokenness about it, but a brokenness that moves toward atonement. And that moving towards atonement 
moves us to a confessing heart. What does a confessing heart do? It acknowledges the sin. This psalm is written by David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, after he had committed adultery and murder, David moves to a broken heart, a contrite heart, and he acknowledges his sin. He confesses it. I don't see any ways that David here is trying to rationalize, hide, or blame anybody else at this point. He is acknowledging his sin. Second, a confessing heart falls on God's mercy and love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast, your loyal love. What do you do with that crushing feeling of your sin upon you? What do you do with that knowledge that you've sinned against God? You fall on God's mercy. You trust in God's character. You believe in his word. Third, a a confessing heart looks to the cross. Now, Psalm 51, obviously Old Testament, David is looking forward, and he's looking forward in some really awesome ways in this psalm. David knows what he needs. He asks God to wash him thoroughly. He sees a picture of the evil and the sin, the impurity that he has to be washed from. He says, purge me with hyssop. Interesting, that was a brush, and it was a brush that dipped in blood. He, he recognizes the need for a blood sacrifice, but not a bull. And what David is looking for is a clean heart. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned. But when we come to the cross, we find forgiveness. When we come to the cross, we, forget, we find mercy and love. When we come to the cross, we find a cleansing that comes. So if a confessing heart acknowledges the sin, it falls on God's mercy, it looks to the cross. Look, this is something that we all need to do, confess our sin before God, confess with our heart that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We need need to come to the cross. We need to confess our sin and receive Jesus Christ. And that's something that we probably need to do on a more regular basis, right? Confess our sin, be cleansed from our sin, because it's an ongoing battle. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you've done it. And what I'm calling you to do is to do it repeatedly. Somehow we do it and we say, oh man, I'm a sinner, I need Christ. And then we start putting on this holy facade, this pretend Christianity 
that somehow we have it all together and you don't, but inside we're broken and we're hurting because we're trying to hide and we're trying to rationalize. And God said, would you just come back to the cross? Would you just come back here and confess and write your relationship with me? The cross isn't just a salvation thing. The cross is a daily place that you and I need to end up. And so we need to avoid the temptation of defensiveness. When somebody comes to you and says, man, you've sinned, you go, how can that be? I think you misunderstood me. Don't be surprised by it. It lives in you. And finally, in that section, we need to receive in faith God's forgiveness. You know, the Bible says that God, when we, he, forgets, he forgets our sins, throws as far as the east and the west. When, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive our sins. And I think in an academic way, most of us know that, but some of us keep going back to the guilt. And sometimes I know I've confessed sin to God and then come back a week later and confess that sin again. And I, I like to picture God saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Right, because I've already forgiven it. I've already forgotten it. Christians, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to receive God's forgiveness. To forgive yourself. So we need to receive in faith God's forgiveness, that his word says he has forgiven us. And then finally, a cleansed heart. What is a cleansed heart? There's so many, uh, there's a period of time in uh, early pastoral ministry that uh, I tried to avoid these two verses, three verses here, 10, 11, and 12. And uh, the reason why, some of you remember, there was an old uh, Christian uh, song that uh, sung these words. Uh, Chorus, probably the 80s, 70s, I can't remember. Huh? 80s? So now it's considered a hymn. Um, I won't sing it. I can't sing when my voice is normal, so I'm certainly not going to sing it now. But it was pretty much these words, right? Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And some people in the church got really angry. We can't sing those songs. So that's Old Testament. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us when we sin. And this is, and listen. Um, and so, you know, I just like, uh, be careful. This, these verses are going to upset somebody. If you're a believer, it's a church, we're Baptistic in nature. We believe that once you have come to Christ in faith, called by God, that you, are, you, you can't lose that salvation. Okay? Some of our other Christian friends, different denominations, believe a little differently that you can lose your salvation. We're a good Baptist church. We believe once saved, always saved. Um, when I pastored up in a small town, sometimes in small towns, Baptist, Nazarene, Assemblies of God, those things don't mean as much, you know? You get a bad pastor in one church, the people kind of flow into the other church. And uh, the Nazarene church wasn't doing very well, and so our church had a bunch of Nazarenes in it, and one of my, my dear friends uh, grew up in the Nazarene church, loved to hear his stories. They sounded very Baptistic to me. He met his wife when he was uh, the lifeguard at the Nazarene camp. True story. Uh, he was the lifeguard 
And because there was, uh, they didn't believe in, uh, how did they, how did they word, word it, co-bathing or something like that. So the girls swam at one time, and the guys swam at another time for camp, keep everything above board. But he was the lifeguard. And so they made him turn his back to the water while he was lifeguarding. I'm like, it's amazing that any of you met each other at those camps. But he and his wife met, and they were good Nazarene. They graduated from the, the, uh, the Nazarene University there in, in Napa. I can't remember what it's called now. And, and a good couple. They were in our church. And he said, Dave, I really love this uh, once saved, always saved. This is, this is good. This makes me feel good. And then he goes, you know what, though? Never hurts to check every now and then. I don't disagree with you there. So once saved, always saved. We're, we're not gonna, we don't believe we're going to lose our salvation, but, but don't miss this. If, if you are sinning and not confessing, you better believe it's going to affect your relationship with God. Don't think that that's not going to impact you. And so renew a right spirit within me. Let me, let me enjoy the, the presence of our fellowship that's not hindered by my sin that I refuse to confess. Let's check in. Let's be sure. So a cleansed heart is a clean heart. It's a renewed heart. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. When you sin and you don't confess, it just gets you off track enough to where you are not on the right path. You need to be renewed pointed back in the right direction. And so he says there, cast me not away from your presence or take not your Holy Spirit from me. I agree in the Old Testament, it seems that the Spirit came and went. New Testament, he comes, you're the temple of God. He resides there. But there's no doubt that when we sin, it affects our connectedness to God. So a cleansed heart is a connected heart. It's to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Look, if you are feeling a tinge in your heart that you have sinned, praise God for that because that's the Holy Spirit's conviction. If you say, man, I might have wronged that person. I don't feel right about that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. Ooh, I wish that feeling would go away. No, don't, no, I don't want that feeling to go away. That's the feeling of the Holy Spirit saying, do something about this. Praise God, he is speaking to you. Praise God for that in your heart. Here's what happens. When we say, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going I'm to push that down. I think I need some ice cream. Make that feeling go away. Eventually, when, when that tinge of the heart comes, it's harder and harder to hear. Christian, if you hear it, respond and be comforted by the Holy Spirit. It's a restored heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Um, it reminded me of some of our scripture reading this week from Luke when 
when the angel comes to Mary and says she's going to give birth, she writes this magnificent song. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of thoughts of their hearts. He has has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to the offspring forever. Look, when our heart is restored, when God does this great reversal, when he speaks to us, these things happen. We experience joy. We experience joy. And if you are not experiencing the joy of the Lord, it might be that something in your heart is not confessed, that your heart has not been restored to God. Joy is the result of a repentant heart. Joy is the response when God reverses things. Joy comes out. And it should be seen on our face. Purpose. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. What a bold statement, David. I just committed adultery. I murdered a friend. I hid it. I abused, took advantage of a woman. And God is going to bring me to a place where I can say things to other sinners? Really? And here we are reading it. Here we are looking at it. And in our pride, When we sin and God restores us, we say, praise God, but I don't want to tell anybody about it. I want to protect the church. I want to protect my family. I want to protect my reputation. I don't want anybody to know how bad I sin. Here is David, king of Israel, just putting it all out there. Then finally, glory. It ends with this kind of odd statement. Do good design and your good pleasure. Build the walls of Jerusalem. It's like, whoa, David, you just, it's like he, he felt awkward for a moment. I should say something else. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, you know what a restored heart does is it rejoices in God's glory. And David is the king. He said, what would bring God glory? Man, Zion being built, the walls of Jerusalem, the sacrifices being offered in a right way with a right heart. Man, this would bring glory to God. When a, when a heart is changed, when we are turned from a sinful heart to a restored, cleansed heart, and we have joy, we want God to be glorified. We want God to be lifted up. And then he says, it's just so encouraging to me. He says, Then 
um, excuse me, uh, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit, a willing heart. And when our heart is crushed, it hurts. And we move to that contrite heart and we confess it. We want to move towards atonement. And then, and then we, we, we experience this confessing heart and we, because we're moving that way, we confess our sins and we're cleansed and we end it this way. God, give me a willing heart to continue to live with you, to uphold your rules and your laws in a way that bring you glory. A willing heart. It's a beautiful picture there. So what's the application and action? Um, on your notes there, just a few things, and um, where do we, uh, how do we respond to that? Well, first, um, I, I think it's a, a call to study God's forgiveness. I, I think that we understand God's forgiveness. Um, I think we want God's forgiveness, but I, I think sometimes we don't understand the depth of God's forgiveness. And so uh, how can we study it? Um, we... Uh, Pastor Rich and I have been talking about uh, this, you know, idea from the assessment on, uh, on some of the ideas of reconciliation, and um, there's a little resource that CB Northwest gave us. It's uh, called Lifestyles of Recon- It's called the Lifestyles of Reconciliation ser- uh, Series, Forgiven to Forgive, and it's just a little uh, daily devotional. Uh, I think it's six weeks. And it uh, is written kind of in an Our Daily Bread type of style where there's a verse at the top and then just a page. Very simple to do. Um, I got into it about halfway before I realized there was actually some other verses you were supposed to read at the top. So there's a few verses you read at the top and then the verse. And just a little thing. It takes you about 15 minutes, 20 maybe. Um, and we, uh, we've been, a few of us have been doing it. And uh, I said to Rich a few weeks ago, I, I think we all need to do this as a church. Um, all of us really looking at what forgiveness looks like. And so we have uh, purchased enough um, for every family or individual to have one. And uh, they'll be here next week. And what we're going to do is uh, in a couple weeks when we get done with the prayer series, we're going to start a six-week series that kind of goes along this leading up to Easter. What if we all read Forgive? Uh, forgiven to forgive leading up to Easter. So how would you do it? Um, a call to study God's forgiveness. Uh, individually, um, I would hope that you would read it. And I know, so I know you're busy, and you're going, oh man, how do, I, how do I do one more thing? What is it with David in books? Why does he keep doing this to us? Um, this is very short, very easy to read. Um, I have been encouraged, uh, convicted in my personal devotional life where the psalmist says, uh, I meditate on your word day and night. And um, personally, over the years, I have really worked hard to form the habit of opening God's word in the day, morning. Uh, but night, not so much for me. And I read that and I go, Ugh. So what I have chosen to do is I'm adding this to the end of my day and reading the scriptures, and that's my night meditation. And so you may do it a different way. Um, I know some of your personalities. Actually, I know a lot of your personalities. And um, some of you would have read this no problem until I asked us to all do it as a church. And you say, oh, no. If you're going to make me do it, then no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm making you do it, okay? Um, it, it's something that I would like to see us do as a church. So we'll have these. We'll start in a couple weeks. It's a call to study forgiveness. 
So then what do we do with it? We're reading it, and then we, we're, it's a call to apply God's forgiveness to ourselves. How do we apply this forgiveness to our life? Look, what if you read this as an individual? That's great, but what if you read it as a family before bed? What if you read it with your spouse? What if you read it with your kids? You say, well, it might be too complicated for my kids. I don't think it will be. I think they can get something out of it. What if you did it as a family? What if this became part of your family language, a call to forgive? How do we apply forgiveness here? What have we been learning? And the goal is, the goal is that as we apply forgiveness, that we begin to share God's forgiveness. Look, I really believe that discipled people make disciples. I believe that redeemed people call people to redemption. So I believe that forgiven people forgive. And if you're not forgiving people, then there's a question to me on whether you've been forgiven. So let's understand the depths of God's forgiveness. We'll have these little booklets in a couple weeks. We've got two more sermons in our prayer series, Use and Send. Um, But uh, when we finish that up, six-week series on who we are in Christ and kind of focusing off this idea of forgive, I'm asking you to pray about doing this. I promise it won't take too much more of your time um, unless you're already reading three books that I've recommended to you, in which case you can put one of them down, okay? Um, So um, let's take a moment. I got to tell you, I'm amazed. I I really thought Rich was going to have to finish the sermon. I didn't think I was going to make it through. So uh, glory to God. Um, I still have a voice. So let's pray, and uh, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to take a a quick vote of affirmation for the CB Northwest stuff uh, after the offering. Uh, you can just do that real quick. If you have, again, if you have questions, you can ask one of the, uh, the elders, if the current elders would come forward um, at, the, at the end of the service so that they can answer any questions, you can come up and ask them. And, uh, and then you guys need to count those things. That's one of your, your jobs I forgot to tell you about. Okay? Let's pray. Create... In us a clean heart, O oh God. Create in us a clean heart. God, I pray that as a church, we would be broken by our sin, that we would be crushed in spirit. Whether that's sins that we have committed as a church or sins that we have committed individually, God, that we would search, ask you to search us, that we would be broken by that sin, that we would confess that sin, and that you would create in us a clean heart. That as a church, as families, as individuals, you would renew a right spirit within us. That we would experience the joy of your presence, the conviction of your Holy Spirit, the moving that you have done in us, and we would praise you for it. We pray that you would restore to some God this morning who maybe are just refusing to confess sin, that they would confess it and that they would receive that joy that comes in being forgiven. That you would grant in us a willing spirit, God, to bow ourselves to your word passionately. To be truthful in our inner parts. God, it's painful to think about praying, crush my heart, break my heart. But God, if that's what needs to be done, 
then break me. God, if I'm missing sin in my life, search me. Father, we want a restored, renewed, vibrant relationship with you. God, if there's things that we're hiding, if there's things that we're pushing aside, if there's things that we're ignoring, God, help us to fall on your mercy and grace and love all anew this morning. Thank you that your word promises that you will love us and forgive us. God, I pray that this would be the start of a new, fresh movement in our hearts and in our church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.